Indeed, O God, we are a people who long to see you exalted and magnified by the way that we live, the way that we choose, the way that we recreate, the way that we conduct our families, our business, our politics, our emotions. O God, we live in a world that has lost sight of you, and so we want to be people who are a part of magnifying you, making you bigger, so that people can see you better. So, Father... Uh, Grant us grace, grant us a a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit of God that we might be a people that lends uh, or or that lessens the the smudge that is on people's eyes and the vapor that seems to fog their, their sight when it comes to you. Our Father, we continue to pray for our nation. She is adrift and has been cut adrift for some years now because she, at some point, left her her founding position, that this was a nation that was built upon faith in the God of the Bible. Father, it's not so much God that people oppose today. It's the God of the Bible they oppose. It's the God who's described here in this book that is so hated by so many. Father, we can't change that. We long for your spirit to breathe fresh winds of revival among us. And Father, we will be available at your beck and call. Do something, Father, so great, so glorious, that it can only be defined as something that came from heaven. And we would love to be a part. We would love to be around when you're doing it. We would love to be able to see it. Now, Father, we ask also that as we gather around this table... In the next few minutes, that you'll meet us there in a way like you have met us at no other time. Might this become a rich place of reminder and refreshment as we celebrate the cornerstone of our faith, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the event of the sin-bearing substitute, the very one who taught his people to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. Not a sermon. It is a communion meditation. Obviously, I'm not up there. I'm down here. I didn't bring six pages of notes with me. I brought one. Because um, my hope is, ladies and gentlemen, is that we can do something this morning that we've never done before. And that is to focus on the sacrament itself. As I, um, as I prepared for this some weeks ago, I was reading the text out of John 6, and I was so overwhelmed with the, with the profundity of the text, I thought, how in the world could I add anything to that? And so what basically I have for you today is the text, brief comments, and the sacrament. I'm hoping that during the sacrament that you can spend 
we're going to take a longer period of time over each of the elements. And, and I hope what can take place is that you can spend minutes right where you are, privately and individually, reflecting on what it is that we're doing instead of us trying to hasten you on. Now, for some, this is going to be awkward. Um, you know how Christians hate silence. Well, this might be awkward for you. And so what I'm, what I'm recommending that you do is keep your Bible open to uh, John chapter 6. Because in those um, silent minutes, if nothing else, just fix your attention on the marvelous things that Jesus Christ has said in John chapter 6. Now, before I read my text, what I really should have done is read the whole chapter of chapter 6. But as you notice, it is 71 verses. So I tried to pick the ones that were the most, that was the kind of the, uh, the hub of the text. And so I've chosen 41 through 53, 59. But guys, let me, let me give you a little context. This is one of the occasions where Jesus Christ feeds a multitude. He feeds the 5,000. As a result of him having fed the... Let me say this too, real quickly. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with manna? You know, we're in the five-week series. If you will listen as I read the text, you'll find out. Because it's here where Jesus claims that the manna of Exodus 16 was nothing more than a type of Christ, which we're going to look at next week. He was the manna. That manna was supposed to point us to him. And he says that in this, this, this text right here. But this is one of those incidents where Jesus has fed a, a multitude. On this occasion, he's fed 5,000. You will, in verses 11 through 13, you can see that. In verse 15, they, they uh, try to take him and make him a king by force. And he repels that attempt at taking him and making him a king by force. He walks on water and comes to the other side of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And in this whole scene, the issue is food. It's food. And uh, the thing that has prompted these people to get so excited about him is that they ate. That he gave them something to eat. Now, having said that by way of um, um, just introduction, uh, feast with me, beginning at verse 49, and I'm going to read the text, and um, excuse me, 41, and we'll read through 59. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. 
Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I would want to suggest to you that the force of this passage is lost on us. We, we miss it. Here's why, I think. This passage that I just read to you has to do with the value of food. And, and that's not to say that we don't value food. Oh, yes, we, we certainly value food. But we don't value food like the people Jesus is talking to. Let, let me explain. There are only a few places in the world where food is scarce. I've been to one. Haiti. Uh, the one that's much in the news right now is, of course, Sudan. But with, the pe- with some of the people that we worked with in Haiti, from the, morning, from the moment they got up in the morning to the time that they went to bed at night, they were preoccupied with this thought. Where am I going to get food for me and the rest of my family? They spent the better part of the day looking for food. And nobody asked about carbs or fat grams. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I want you to know that um, 
in my home, things aren't like that. I mean, um, I have a pantry. And not only do I have a pantry, I have not one, not two, but three freezers. And um, if it became necessary, I could, if, um, if I had to, I could probably feed my family for 30 days, just out of what it's in there right now. You and I don't know anything about this kind of value of food. Um, we, uh, we don't know about the, the, uh, the, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed being consumed with an interest of, for food. You know, I may get up in the morning and think about food, but it's not for the same reasons the people in Haiti do. Now, what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that the culture that I just read you about the New Testament culture, is far more like Haiti than it is Germantown. There was no storage, of course, in, in, in the New Testament culture. Um, and, and so each day brought a brand new search for survival, for food. Food was wealth. To be fat, that was good. Uh, a strange inversion, but it was, it was good to be fat. And, and, and you notice that Jesus fed them and in verse 15, they're trying to make, they're trying to take him and make him their king by force. Why? Because they believed in him? Oh no. No, 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 no. That's why he fled from them, ladies and gentlemen. They wanted to make him king because he had fed them. He had given them food. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful, um, statement in the book of Habakkuk. I, you know, some of you, you know what, something about the book of Habakkuk, but it closes with this great statement of faith. Let me just read it real quick. Don't turn. Habakkuk says at the closing of his book, he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, though the, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's my point. It is a great statement of faith. But, but did you notice what Habakkuk was doing? For Habakkuk, when he described a situation that was the worst possible situation that he could possibly conceive, it was a situation where there was no food. They couldn't think of anything worse than not having food. Having food preoccupied them. It was a, it was a literal issue of life and death for them. Hunger is, is acutely felt by them. Not so much by us. That's why I think the force of this is missed on us. We don't feel it like they felt it. This was a culture consumed with where I'm going to eat next. And to that culture, ladies and gentlemen, a culture that was daily consumed with finding food, Jesus says, I am the bread that you really need. I'm the living bread. Not, not that the bread was living, but that he who ate that bread would live. As urgent as it is for you people, says Jesus, to find food on a daily basis, there is a need that is far more urgent even than that one. You, um, you have an eternal urgency that you may not sense, but what you eternally need 
is living bread. And only I am that. Gang, similar to the appetite that drove these people to extremes on a daily basis to find bread, Jesus says to them, you have another need like that one, but bigger. And it's the need that only I can meet for you. You think that you need bread like this. I say to you that you need a bread that you, um, you don't yet see, perhaps, but what you need is me. To eat me. Gang, um, you and I today know that we need this. But because we are not as aware of the size of the need of hunger, maybe that's the thing that explains why we don't know how desperately we need living bread. At least this culture understood things by way of comparison better than... than, In fact, my point is, they understood to what Jesus was comparing their other need. They understood, oh, he's comparing my eternal need to my daily need. We don't have a sense of daily need, and so therefore, when somebody stands before you and says, you got an eternal need, it's lost on us. The force of all that is lost on us. You know, ladies and gentlemen, here is a, an image in the New Testament. This eating thing. Jesus mentions it in verse 51, verse 53, 54, 56, and possibly elsewhere. But it's very suggestive. If not crude, it's upsetting. It's a disconcerting idea. You must eat me. That's upsetting. If you are ever to derive the benefit of living bread, you must eat me. So then, that which is on the outside becomes something that is on the inside. And it provides strength and nourishment to every cell of my body. John chapter 6, ladies and gentlemen, is suggesting that Jesus is just like that. That is, I may admire his teaching, I may respond to his his, uh, sacrificial life, I may be moved to tears by his cross. I may have cried my eyes out back in the spring when I saw Mel Gibson's movie. But until I eat him, he remains outside of me. And whereas I may be fed, my soul that is on the inside of me cries out in desperation for a need that goes unmet by this. Gangam, this eating that I'm talking about is something that nobody can do for you. 
There is no such thing as eating by proxy. Standing and watching the rest of us eat and getting healthy spiritually is not going to do you any good. Um, the rest of us might wish and hope that you would eat and, and grow strong, but only you can eat. And eat you must, or you will die. You will star, ladies and gentlemen. The one that was offered to you as the bread of heaven was broken. And, and that whole imagery there, ladies and gentlemen, has to do with, of course, the taking of his life. And once again, we're face to face with the cross. The bread had to be broken before it became living. It's just one more way that the New Testament tries to explain faith. But who is it that's going to eat? I'll tell you who eats. The hungry. The really hungry. <laughs> the people who really know that they've got a need. They don't quibble. They don't argue. They don't admire. They don't hesitate. They just eat. Because once we know that Christ is, is heavenly bread for our eternal need. We will eat without coercion, without, without force. We'll eat gladly. We'll eat joyfully. Once the Spirit of God has illumined to the eyes of our soul the enormity of our need because of our sin, we will come and eat. You will never eat until you know you are starving. There are two kinds of bread set before you this morning. One, if you eat it, and this is all ye. die. The other is only symbolized. But if you eat that, you will never die. Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank you for this opportunity to pause over this great sacrament, to look deeply into it, and to look deeply into our own souls. And I pray that you will use it to remind us of just how big our need is and just how desperately we need this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we spend these quiet minutes together, that you will speak to us right where we are, individually, privately, as we reflect upon what Jesus Christ has done for his people. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in this great piece of soteriological drama, 
this great piece of saving drama. He took bread and he broke it. And he turned to that room of 11 and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. Again, the words of our Lord in John 6. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. After they had broken bread together, Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks, offered it to his disciples and said, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That he gave his only begotten son whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Won't you stand with me as we close and sing with forgiven hearts?